On today's episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast, we have Dr. Rasika Karnik talking about long COVID. The patients that we see are in a tremendous amount of distress, which is why they have sought out care with us. So that makes it challenging because, you know, imagine the first time you see a patient and they maybe have four or five symptoms. And even if it is long COVID, there is no diagnostic and there's barely a definition. We're back with another episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast, sponsored by the Buxbaum Institute. During this podcast, we discuss, dissect, and promote clinical excellence. We review research pertinent to clinical excellence. We invite experts to discuss topics that often challenge the physician-patient relationship. And we host conversations between patients and doctors. I'm Adam Seafew, and today I'm joined by Dr. Rasika Karnik. Rasika is a general internist at the University of Chicago who has developed an interest in and expertise in long COVID. Rasika is originally from Michigan, but spent her high school years in India. She got her MD from Wayne State University School of Medicine and came to us at U of C after practicing for several years in Dallas and then St. Louis. Soon after her arrival, she started seeing patients in our post-COVID recovery clinic. Rasika, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So first, a really general question. You've been seeing patients with prolonged symptoms of COVID since like very early in the pandemic. Um, and I'm just interested in kind of the medicine so far. Like, what do you come upon most? Um, what do people, what are people suffering from the most? What are people most interested in having treated? Sure. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, big all, that's a big question. Um you know, we sort of, we see, or I see a large variety of patients and complaints, but I would say that the most common complaint does match up with the literature, which is the fatigue yeah. aspect of persistent symptoms after COVID. So I certainly see a lot of fatigue and brain fog. Yeah. And so those are the two that I truly see, and they're very debilitating symptoms. And it's hard for people to accomplish the tasks that they want to do, which is infuriating to patients. Maybe this is an obvious question, but you know, does it feel different to you than your sort of regular internal medicine, seeing people who have difficult to diagnose troublesome symptoms? Um, or is there something different in the presentation, in the relationship? What do you think? Uh, it certainly is different, and there are a couple of reasons for it. So one, you know, as an internist with a primary care panel, I get to know the patients, and I most of the time I'm meeting them, and they're not in distress. Whereas the, with the long COVID clinic and the, our, the patients that we see are in a tremendous amount of distress, which is why they have sought out care with us. So that makes it a bit challenging because, you know, imagine the first time you see a patient and they maybe have four or five symptoms, if not more, and they're all challenging to diagnose. And even if it is long COVID, there is no diagnostic that I can give them. There's barely a definition. So it is very challenging from a physician-patient standpoint. But something that I realized a few months into it is that just listening to the patient was therapeutic mm -hmm. and, and making sure that they understood that I did not think they were crazy. Yeah. So that proved to be very valuable to our patient population. They sound like the kind of clinics that you go home and need to have a beer afterwards, right? It's funny you say that. There was certainly when I first started seeing patients, I would I would see them in these 40-minute visit checks, yeah, yeah. right? And I would see maybe four or five and a half day. And by lunchtime, my I, my mind was spinning. <laughs> I mean, I needed to take a walk. I needed yeah. to decompress. 
Um, so there's a question that I feel like we discuss a lot these days, and I'd love to sort of get your thoughts. And I think probably nobody knows this, and you know, you're primarily a clinician with an expertise rather than like you know a scientist with an expertise in this. Um, but do you think long COVID is something specific to COVID, or do you think it's kind of a post-illness syndrome? Um, and we're only kind of recognizing it now just because so many people were sickened in a short period of time. You know, at the beginning, let's say first year and a half of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I actually think it's a combination of both. Yeah. So I think the COVID in the beginning was a new virus, right, to the human body. It was very pathogenic. Right? The, the rates of death and, and very severe illness were high. So I, I do think that partially it's because it is just the virus itself. And But I also think because it was so contagious that so many people had it, so I think you're seeing more of it because yeah. of that too. Yeah. And I don't think it's... You know, this idea of having a post-viral sequela is not new. Just, you know, the numbers are so high because so many people were infected. Yeah. I'm interested because people with whatever we want to call it, you know, long COVID, post-COVID, you know, ongoing symptoms who I've seen, you know, outside of your group, um, you know, it there are sort of symptoms that I'm used to seeing in those patients who have unexplained symptoms that you have difficulty with. And whether it's the nonspecific things like you talked about, like the brain fog or fatigue, or whether it's maybe more specific things like POTS and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I try to be optimistic about this, I sort of think like, huh, you know, maybe because of long COVID, we're going to figure out some of these things that have been torturing people for decades or probably forever that we've never been able to figure out. Yep, absolutely. No, I totally agree with you on that. And um, I think because of the sheer number of people and also the the power of the patient, patients organizing together, their voice is very clearly heard by people in charge and they've organized themselves very well, which I think will only help with these nonspecific symptoms that a lot of patients have had in the past, right? Like chronic fatigue is not new. Right, right. Um, The brain fog associated with chronic fatigue is not necessarily new, but uh, I do think that you're right, much more attention will be given to these and hopefully we'll... More information will be. Yeah. yeah. The voices of the patients will be louder just because there are more of them. There's um, more. Plus, there's also social media, I think. Yeah, and like yeah. the internet has made it very easy for people all over the world to congregate. I mean, the first the first group that actually came up with long COVID, I mean, these were, this was patient-led yeah. research collaboratives. Yeah, yeah. So they are the first ones that shed light onto this disease process and named it. So the long haulers. Right. So this podcast obviously focuses on the uh, physician-patient relationship, since that's sort of the Bucksbaum Institute's focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a primary care general internist, but your role with long COVID, you know, is somewhat different. And you you alluded to that, right? You're seeing patients in consultation. You're seeing patients with these poorly understood, poorly defined syndromes. Um, you talked about just sort of listening to people and, you know, I guess believing people um, has been therapeutic for them. But has your, I don't know, has the your experience with the patient-doctor relationship been different in this setting than it has been for the rest of your career and your experience? I think so. And part of it is because they are in such distress, and I've never known them normally, right? Mm, like what mm. they were at at their best. Oftentimes, you know, for me, I have to you know, take a step back and think like this, you know, this is not them at their normal, right? You know, and um, I believe them for what they tell me, because frankly, it's, you know, 
just how I approach life. It's easier to believe people. Um, and uh, I kind of go forward. But yes, it is it is different because, you know, they they mostly come to me with a thousand complaints or, yeah. you know, a hundred, not a thousand, I'm exaggerating, yeah. but many. And so in that sense, it's a little different yeah. because I think there are, there's more need, right? right? Uh, there's a little bit more of you know, counseling, grieving, right? Some of them are grieving their past self and there's more emotion behind it. I hadn't thought about that difference of, you know, knowing people well and then watching them become sick. I think it's something that you and I probably previous to that have experienced, you know, when we're on the inpatient service and you're sort of faced with all these people who, who write, you know, you can see pictures in the room of them well, but you just know them as sick. But I always sort of think about it as that as you grow up, you know, being a doctor, you don't just know people who are always healthy. You just know people who are always sick, but you have that long experience with people mm. where you know people who are healthy, you see them get sick. Hopefully you then see them get better, but you're almost going back to where like, okay, I'm just seeing sick people who are sick when I meet them. And, you know, it hasn't been that long. Probably a lot of them are staying sick. Yep. And they're, they're kind of chronically low grade sick and sort of, you know, they are not able to just, it's almost a disability, right? Mm. So they're able to kind of make it through life, but it's frustrating from my standpoint, because Oftentimes, I feel like I can't help them, yeah. right? I don't know what to do for them. Um, I wish I could do more. I, as you mentioned, I'm not a scientist, so it's harder for me to, you know, it's not my mindset to just experiment on patients either, yeah. right? Yeah. Say, like, let's throw this at you and let's order these labs that I don't know what to do with. So um, in that sense, it is challenging to just sort of see these chronically um ill yeah, patients. Yeah, yeah. Chronically and, suffering people. Basically. Yeah, chronically suffering. And, you know, the other thing too that I think seeing post-COVID patients has really solidified in my head is that, you know, a lot of these people were like young and didn't have any chronic medical issues. So they didn't really have a primary care doctor, right? right? right. So like they didn't have somebody that they could go to. Uh, and that's distressing, yeah. you know, because I think it is easy to write patients off when they come into right. You know, right. and seemingly they're very well appearing and like right. they have all the resources in the world and they should be able to recover. And this is, you know, quote unquote, all in their head. Yeah. So I do think it underscores the importance of having a primary care doctor. Um, so my last question is probably totally unfair because <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you to kind of look into the future. Um, COVID's obviously changed a ton. It's not there yet, but it is getting closer and closer to like, you know, being just another respiratory virus. We rarely see COVID pneumonia anymore in the hospital, thankfully. Um what do you sort of expect to see as far as, you know, newly diagnosed people? Um, what have you seen with kind of new people coming into the practice or the people you've been following for a while? Mm-hmm. Um, is there like reason for optimism or reason for pessimism or a little bit of both? I think there's reason for optimism. I think, you know, as you mentioned, it's becoming more and more just like your run-of-the-mill respiratory virus you know, personally speaking of just having the flu, I felt much worse, you know, than I think some of my patients did uh, or some of the patients that I've treated, you know, it's part of the primary care practice for COVID. To me, you know, 
there are other viruses that make you feel a lot worse. So I do think that it will decrease as it just becomes more and more of um, a virus that we commonly encounter and deal with, just like most other coronaviruses. So I think people will get better. I do think that there is, you know, I certainly see patients, a subset of the post-COVID patients that get better with time and they kind of fall off, right? They don't come back to me. Uh, And then you just have the patients that are persistently chronically ill. And and to me, a lot of them have a lot of comorbidities and it's hard to to sometimes tease out which is causing what. So, um, and the other thing too is that I personally, I just think a lot of people pay attention to their bodies more after they have COVID because it's this major new virus and, um, you know, you kind of wonder what it could be doing to you. I wonder if the fact that, you know, the COVID we are getting now is less severe and people are recovering, you know, more quickly, more easily may actually make it harder for some of these people from the past, um, you know, who are dealing with worse symptoms and, they may face more and more people are like, you know, what's, what's the big deal? You know, it's yeah, but uh, but um, you know, this other part to your question, I didn't necessarily answer is I do think that um, I think that people that have you know post infectious sequelae, like I think that as an entity will stay and be more recognized. And I do think that as long as there's you know research funding and people that are interested in this, we will get some more answers in the future. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's a field that's sort of already there when we talk about hospital-associated disability and such. Um, it's not a big jump to broaden that out, right, mm-hmm. to include, you know, this entire population of people. Yep. Yeah. So I do think people will, there'll still be more attention given to post-infectious sequelae. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also fatigue, I think. Yeah. You know. Just debility and being able to function at your normal, you know, ability. And there's more and more diagnostics that are out there, but we're not quite sure what to do with it. But I think I'm I'm hopeful that that will change. Well, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to me. It's a great discussion. And I think we touched on a lot of, uh, you know, questions that people have. Um, We're going to put this up right away because COVID changes so much um, that I sort of didn't want to like leave this sitting in the can for six months because we may be talking about something completely different. Sure. Um, And I'm hoping more than ever that people sort of reach out with comments. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast. We're sponsored by the Bucksbaum Institute for Clinical Excellence at the University of Chicago. Please, again, feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts and ideas on the Bucksbaum Institute Twitter page. The music for the Clinical Excellence Podcast is courtesy of Dr. Malin Martinez. <laughs>